the scriptures say, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts of joy and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is within me. A prayer to God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go on mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with the deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Let's pray. O Father, uh, we need hope this morning. We need the kind of hope that only you can provide. The, the hope that comes from the sovereign God of the universe. No earthly hope will do. No finite hope will save. No passing hope of this earth will sustain us. God, it's only through the hope that you provide through your Son, Jesus Christ, uh, that we will maintain, that we will sustain, that we will thrive in this broken world. God, so I pray for those that are listening across the globe this morning that feel like they have lost hope, God, would you remind them through the power of your word and the moving of your Holy Spirit that there is hope in God. That because of God, there is a more joyful, more fruitful future coming. That, that sorrow only lasts for the night, but joy comes in the morning. So sustain us in our sorrow with that picture of joy, of the sun rising one day for eternity when your sun cracks the clouds and we will have joy forevermore. So give us a glimpse of that this morning, Father. May you do that here in Spartanburg, in the United States, and around the globe. 
may people know and feel your hope this morning. In Christ's name, amen. So I, I told you our text this morning is, is, is Psalm 42. Psalm 42 is where David struggles with the feelings of depression. His spirit and his, his flesh are sort of in this, this battle. He wants to hope in God, but his soul is depressed within him. He longs for God, but feels forsaken by him. He wants to praise God, but his distress won't let him. Maybe you're sort of feeling this now, especially in this time of quarantine when we're all sort of isolated from each other and depression and distress and anxiety are sort of welling up more than usual. At times, I can identify with this psalm. Some of you may be able to identify with this psalm. You want to praise God, but you cannot find the words to do so. You know you should feel joy in God, but it's just not there. You want to sing songs of praise, but it seems impossible. This morning, I want to unpack this short psalm so that we may find hope. Hope for the depressed, hope for the afflicted, hope for the downcast, hope for the confused child of God. The way I want to unpack this is with really three main points. I want to look at David's longing in verses 1 and 2. I want to look at David's sorrow in these five verses, and then David's hope in verses 5 and 11. David's longing, David's sorrow, and David's hope, all from Psalm 42 this morning. So let's start with David's holy longing for God. He says in Psalm 42, verses 1 and 2, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? There's something comforting to me about longing for God. If God has ever gotten you in this position of sort of severe distress, severe anxiety, try longing for him. This has brought my soul much comfort, and it's what's happening here in Psalm 42, the kind of longing that drives you to your knees. Even when I feel as if God has left me, the deep longing I have for him in some way comforts me. In a way, this is God's grace, because his children thirst for him. If you can still long for him, if you can still thirst for him, this is God's grace in your sorrow. Spiritual dryness leads to spiritual water. This is what this deer was after. Because the dead, they don't get thirsty. Only those with life recognize their need for water, and so it is for those who have spiritual life. You recognize when you're thirsty. So be grateful that in your sorrow, you crave God. Be comforted because your longing for God indicates that God has not left you. You know that God has not left you if you're still longing for his presence. The psalmist here, who is thought to be David, uses this imagery of a deer panting for flowing streams to describe how intensely he longs after God. 
This is not your average thirst. The picture that David is painting here is much more than a thirsty deer. It's not that he just wants water, right? Look at the texts. The deer wants flowing streams. A lake or a puddle just aren't going to do for this deer. It's flowing water that he is after. Why? Why is this deer after flowing water? It's because the deer is being hunted. It's only the flowing stream that can both quench the thirsty soul and save its life. The dogs cannot track the deer in flowing water, and thus it becomes its refuge. So it's not just a thirst quencher, this flowing stream. It's, it's a refuge for the deer. Like David, this deer is being pursued, and he is nearly spent. A flowing stream is his only hope, and so the weary deer cries out for moving water. This is a beautiful picture of the soul that is in want of God. He's a thirst quencher, and he is a refuge. Like the deer that is spent and in desperate need of flowing water, so is the soul of the child of God when his presence is not felt. You need this refuge. You need this thirst quencher. Have you been there? Our souls are tender and helpless, crying out to be in the presence of God. The soul knows no rest, knows no satisfaction, knows no refuge outside the flowing streams of the presence of God, the refuge of God. There is only one thing that can satisfy David's soul, and that is to be in the presence of God. When terror strikes, it's not riches, it's not fame, and it's not power that David wants. And we've all experienced this in these last three weeks, have we not? Your money isn't helping you. Fame is not helping you. Power is not helping you. It is God and God alone. David's craving was to be with God. And this is what we need now. He expresses this desire with this question in verse 2. Right? He says, When shall I come and appear before God. David was on the run from Saul, exiled from Jerusalem, hiding out in the land of Jordan, far from Jerusalem where God's presence was at that time. Remember, this is before Christ when worship was geographically centered in Jerusalem. And so David, he lacked communion with God, and so his soul was dry. His soul was crying out for God like a hunted deer. David's soul was disturbed with sorrow. And so this brings me comfort. It's, it's not abnormal for the child of God to battle with depression. It's not abnormal for the child of God to be downcast and have a soul in turmoil. When you read this psalm, you really feel how deep David's sorrow was. Almost like he was in a dark depression. Look what he says in verse 3. My tears have been my food day and night. He could not stop crying. David's crying created a deeper craving for God. Yes, David was beat down. Yes, he was in exile. But in his exile, David did not despise God. Right? That's the difference between a child of God and someone who is not. In his deep depression, in his continual crying, he craved God more and more. In his exile, he says, 
my soul thirsts for God. And not just for God, he adds this phrase, for the living God. David calls God the living God, not only to distinguish him from idols, but to set him above all other wants and desires that this world can offer. Everything that this world offers is dying or already dead. That's all this world offers. So David thirsts for the living God, the source of all life. Living souls thirst for the living God. Dead souls are satisfied with dead gods. Don't be satisfied with the dead gods this world offers. They will not satisfy. Stay thirsty for the living God. When your soul, like David's, is cast down, crave the living God. Comfort for the downcast soul starts with craving God. Want God more. It is no accident that the downcast psalmist begins his lament with a deep longing for God. So start here. You want to know what to do in your quarantine? Long for God. So what is it that caused David to long so deeply for God? I already alluded to it, and it was his sorrow. This is what drove him to long for God. This holy sorrow that David was experiencing. And I see three things in this psalm that were the source of David's sorrow, therefore increasing his craving for God. These things caused David immense grief. He wasn't just upset. This was mourning, a pouring out of his soul. Look at the language in verse 3. My tears have been my food day and night. Tears literally means weeping. Instead of eating, David is Weeping. His excess sorrow robbed him of his appetite. I I don't know many people that have experienced sorrow like this, but it sounds deep. Like you don't even want to nourish your own body because of the sorrow that you're experiencing. And this was David was experiencing. He was so sorrowful over his lack of communion with God, he could not eat. His soul was in anguish, and it was due to three things. Number one, he was taunted by his enemies, right? My tears have been my food day and night while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? The they here is David's adversaries, either his earthly adversaries or Satan himself. Look at verses 9 and 10. Why do I go on mourning? Because of the oppression of the enemy. Verse 10, as with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? So David is dealing with spiritual oppression here. The cause of his mourning was oppression from the enemy. The enemy had him on the ropes and was hitting him with this question, where's your God, David? Maybe this same question rings in your ears when you need God the most. One of the most formidable weapons of our enemy in his spiritual battle against the saints is to say to them, where is your God? If God is good, he wouldn't do this to you. Or if God loved you, he wouldn't allow you to go through this. 
Or if God really existed, he would have the power to save you from this oppression. He taunts us with this question. The taunts of the enemy can wound us to our core. It did so to David. It wasn't that he just lacked communion with God. It was that he lacked communion with God and the enemy was rubbing it in his face. This served to increase his sorrow and therefore increased his longing for God. Maybe this rings in your ears as you are battling your sorrow, your anxiety, your fear, your depression. The enemy is whispering, where's your God? Where is he? Doesn't look like he loves you. Doesn't look like he's near you. And David is experiencing this same thing. The second thing that caused David much grief is when he remembered former joy in the worship of God. Look at verse 4. These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how it would go with the throng and lead them in the procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. David was remembering the joy that he experienced in communion with God. And no better place for that than with the saints. He craved being surrounded with the praises of God with fellow worshipers. And I think we all are craving this right now. We long for the day where this room is filled up again with hundreds of people and we are together praising and worshiping our great God. And David longed for this. He longed to be with the throngs of people worshiping in the house of God. Yes, time alone with God is sweet, but there's something moving, something glorious about worshiping God with saints. In exile, David remembered this former joy and it caused him anguish. To remember these things and not presently experience them felt like the pouring out of his soul. That's what the text says. When I remembered these things, I poured out my soul. To be poured out is to suffer affliction. David was no average worshiper. He led the throngs to the house of God shouting joyful praises of God. So you can sort of feel the irony here. Here's this guy that's in exile on the run and he used to lead the throngs in worship and now he's in exile. Remembering former joy and being exiled from it brought great sorrow to his soul. So what are the these things for you, right? For David, it was leading the throngs in worship but what are the, these things that you remember that you are not experiencing now? Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a, someone that you're away from now. Maybe it is the gathering of the saints. What are the, these things in your life? What are the previously experienced joys in your life that at the remembrance of them cause your soul to be poured out? And David says, you're not alone. These remembered joys were a source of David's sorrow in Psalm 42. The third thing that caused David so much sorrow was the understanding of God's sovereignty in his suffering. Look at verses 7 and 9, the sovereignty of God in suffering. He says in verse 7, deep calls to deep. At the roar of your waterfalls, all your breakers and your waves have 
gone over me. David knew that ultimately his suffering was ordained by God. And sort of you read this verse and you're like, man, what, is, what does this mean? Deep calls the deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. David, remember who he's praying to here. All your breakers and your waves. So he's praying to God, right? And who owns the breakers and the waves? God, right? So David attributed ownership of the waterfalls and the, pra- and the breakers and the waves to, to God. The roaring waterfalls belong to God. The crashing waves belong to God. Wave after wave after wave of sorrow straight from the hand of God. So when David says, deep calls to deep at the roaring of your waterfalls, it's the picture of being pounded under two mighty waterfalls. And the weight of that water is not letting you up for air. This is the picture David's painting for us. Likewise, all your breakers and your waves have gone over me is a picture of being under the relentless ocean waves, right? Your kids, or maybe you yourself when you were a child, remember being in the, in the waves and just being pounded, trying to get up, and it would, it would come over you again and send you under the water. This is the picture that David is painting for us. This is the sorrow that continually pounds on him and will not let him up. Somebody else quoted this phrase. Jonah quoted this very verse when he was inside the belly of the great fish. He said, all your waves and your billows have passed over me. All your waves, God, and all your billows have passed over me. God owns the waves of your affliction. God owns the billows of your sorrows. God owns the waterfalls of your anguish. It's all from God. This is good news for the child of God. Why? If David's sorrow is God-ordained, and if David's sorrow is causing his deep longing for God, then maybe God's desire is for David to long deeply for him. God wants us to want him. We, we released a little two-and-a-half-minute video this past week called The Purpose of Calamity from Richard's sermon last week. Right? The purpose of calamity is for us to turn back to God. In God's kindness, Richard said in that video, he sends calamity so that we will turn to him. And that's the grace in us experiencing this great sorrow and the billows of his affliction from God so that we will turn to God and long for him. Doesn't David say this in Psalm 51? The sacrifices of God are what? A broken spirit? A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise? This is what our God wants. Isn't it the poor in spirit that inherit the kingdom of heaven? Wasn't it a thorn in Paul's flesh that kept him from being conceited? Isn't humility the crown jewel of the Christian life? Doesn't God oppose the proud and give grace to the humble? Maybe God 
is keeping David in the humble zone in order to keep him in the grace zone. Maybe God is keeping you in the humble zone in order to keep you in the grace zone. David, knowing that these afflictions were ultimately from God, prays an interesting prayer in verse 9. He says, I say to my God, why have you forsaken me? It seemed that his very refuge had forgotten him. David felt forsaken by God. You know this feeling, right? Relief seems so far off when you are in the middle of suffering, even to the point of thinking God has forgotten you. It's easy for those who are not in suffering or those that have not been in suffering for some time to look at somebody in suffering and say, just get through it. There's hope at the end. But in your suffering, the hope and the help and even God himself feels so far away. Far enough away that even a man like David could say, why have you forgotten me? David felt forgotten. David's suffering here is a foreshadowing of the truly forsaken Son of God, right? Jesus uttered similar words on the cross when he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So David here actually points us to Christ. Because we can say, No, 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 David. God did not forsake you because Jesus was forsaken for you. Jesus was forsaken so that you wouldn't have to be. Folks, listen. In your suffering, remember the truly forsaken Son of God. His suffering was greater. Our suffering is ultimately ordained by God because of Jesus. God will not forsake us. The night might be dark and it might be long, but the morning is coming. This is how we battle. We continually hope for the morning to come. It might be a 30-year night. But when the morning gets here, it's eternal, unending bliss. This is what David does in this psalm again and again. His unwavering faith always gets the last word in this psalm. And it's hope in God. That's the final point here. David's hope. David's unwavering hope in God. This psalm is really set up in two stanzas. One through five and then six through eleven. And so he ends each stanza with this refrain. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. For David, as forsaken as he felt, as hopeless as he felt, he always ends with hope in God. Hope in God wins out for David. He is deeply grieved, but he fought his grief with an unshakable trust in God. His hope was that salvation would come. His grief would turn to joy and his complaint into a song. In verse 5 and in verse 11, again, we see David rebuking his flesh. That's really what I think you see here in this psalm, is David sort of battling back and forth with his flesh. I'm forsaken, but I hope in God. I'm crying tears. I'm not eating because I'm so sorrowful, but I shall again praise my God. 
His flesh feels forsaken, but his spirit knows he's not. Our flesh says God is gone, but our spirit says hope. Notice where David takes up his battle. It's against himself. We must take up this battle against our own flesh because it seeks to destroy us. Paul says in Romans 8 that our flesh is hostile to God. That is, the, the remaining sin in us wants nothing to do with God wants to battle against God. And that's what's happening here. We must make war against these feelings of being forgotten. Make war against the taunts of the enemy that whisper in our ear, where is your God? We fight our flesh with hope in God. Tell your flesh to hope in God. Hope in God is the constant refrain that should echo in our hearts and in our minds when we are in this dry wilderness, when, we're in, when we feel this spiritual emptiness. Hope in God, hope in God, hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. So like David, no matter how bad it gets, we go on hoping. We go on trusting, we go on believing because joy is coming. He has promised it and he will do it. In fact, he showed us that he will do it. He didn't just say it. We don't have a God who just says nice things. He actually showed us by sending his son. God emptied out his anger on his son so that our unshakable hope has a foundation. Jesus absorbed the waves of God's wrath. Jesus drank deeply from God's relentless waterfall of judgment. And Jesus withstood the billows of divine anger. We don't just hope in words. We hope in God's actions, in Christ's work on the cross. It's natural to fear. It's natural to be downcast and feel anxiety and depression, these things arise out of our flesh. We all battle these things. When fear or depression or anxiety arise, fight them off with hope in God, with the knowledge that you too again will praise Him. Hope is patient, rock-solid confidence in God. Even when you don't feel Him. It's a looking forward to our final redemption. Do you have this kind of hope? To the world, this is strange. To put your hope and all of your confidence in something or someone you cannot see, man, this seems childish. It's silly to them. But this is the essence of salvation. We keep hoping in God. David ends this psalm, each of these stanzas, with this phrase, my salvation and my God. We hope in God because he made himself our salvation. We with David can call him our salvation and our God. He now belongs to us. We possess God because he came to us and possessed us first. Is God your salvation? Is God your hope? Well, then you have hope. You have something, or rather someone to hope in. 
When everything around you crumbles, you can say with David, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Cling tightly to your hope in God today and forever. Let's pray. Father, you are uh, glorious. Our only hope is in you. Uh, Father, we're, we're dealing with billows and billows and waves of sorrow and anxiety and fear over sickness and disease and death right now, Father. God, help us in our weak state to have the rock-solid hope in what you've done for us in Jesus Christ. That although we are now experiencing a dark night that we will continue to hope for the morning to come. That you will use this sorrow, use this anxiety, use this fear to drive us to you, to our knees, begging for mercy and joy to come again. We're so grateful and thankful for what you've already done for us in Christ. We need nothing else. But he who did not spare his own son, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who is raised, who is at the right hand of the Father, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of God? God, nothing will separate us from your love for us in Christ. So we cling to that today. God, if someone is listening and does not know this kind of hope, does not know the kind of hope that can feel fear and anxiety, but still have a rock-solid confidence in you, may they know that hope today. May your spirit move in their hearts this morning and in their souls to cry out to God in faith and for forgiveness and forever experience the hope that is offered them in Jesus Christ. God, would your spirit move across this globe this morning and may Jesus Christ be high and lifted up and may we all take comfort in him. In Christ's name, amen.